Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Well, football season is upon us, but why bet with the big boys? Who's the one does that? Try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook is the book next door, just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. So just bet with the best. Use promo code Mile high this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Lean in with that because it stands today. The University of Colorado Buffaloes will be hosting the Colorado State Rams on Saturday evening. And I didn't know this. The Rams actually won the last game between these two teams that was played in Boulder. In Boulder. In Boulder, yes. Yes, because on the uh, same year, like Sacramento State and everything was mopping the floor with the uh, the buffs. But uh, uh, CU is a, over at uh, Superbook, CU is a 23-point favorite. <laughs> and, and probably, that may go up. probably may go fair, up. given the reality. Do, do they know that uh, CSU is starting the freshman? Yeah, they're going to start redshirt freshman Braden Fowler, Nicolosi. Uh, Clay Millen has been a little bit beaten up, according to Coach Jay yes. Norvell. Yeah. Um, He's also been sacked five times a game. That's Russell Wilson territory. Yeah. Since transferring from Nevada to CSU. Well, Fowler Nicolosi did get uh, got, stepped in when Millen was hurt. Uh, it helped lead them to 21 points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah, you played okay. But you're talking about a redshirt freshman, and yes. you're going to get your first start in Folsom against a one of the, at least the more dynamic and interesting teams in the league, faster teams in, I should say league, faster teams in the country. As opposed to the Broncos, CU is fast. Fast. Fast and extra fast. And in a madhouse that is going to be Folsom Field after... Fox's big noon kickoff is going to stay in Boulder for a second week. ESPN's game day is going to be in Boulder for the first time since 1996. It when is going Rick to Nuazzo be was the coach. insane in Folsom. And uh, go get him, kid. Well, in 96, CU was coming off a 10-win season. Uh, they won their bowl game. Uh, their first game in the new Heisel era was a big win at Wisconsin. They were a good program in 1996. Um, 27 years ago. Hard to believe. And in 2001, it happened toward the end of the year, but Colorado had a shot at being maybe number one if things had broken a certain way. And that was Gary Barnett's best coaching job ever, even better than the great year he had at Northwestern in 95, I want to say. Um, Yes, the, the Buffs, needless to say, have not been deserving of game day recognition in at least a quarter century. And yeah. uh, now it, you've got pregame shows falling all over themselves to get the Boulder. To get to Boulder. And, I mean, we know how picturesque it is, too. And you're right, by the way, because, I mean, you go back to September of 2009, which is the last time the game was held in Boulder, and CSU won that game 23-17. to 17. Now, Colorado was Was that Steve Fairchild? Uh, As a coach, oh nine, 
I don't, I don't, I don't know. Not 2009. I don't know. Oh, it's, I'm not sure. I'd have to look that one up for you. I'm not sure. But it, but you're right. The last time it was in Boulder, 2009, SCSU won. Well, that was Dan Hawkins. Yes. Yeah. CU. That's CU. No, right. Uh, the Buffs have won the last five in the series. It was, it was Fairchild. Fairchild. Okay. See, go. I got one. Yeah, right. They've been few and far between. My uh, uh, well, memory measured a, against yours. There's been a handful of CSU my wins coaches. have been few and far between. Uh, I wouldn't yes. go that far, but there's uh, definitely have been a handful of CSU coaches that are rotating through at that time. But the uh, the last couple, a little one sided. Uh, Colorado won in 2019, 52 to 31. They won 45 to 13 in 2018. Closer game in 2017, 17 to three, and then 2016, 44 to seven. Yeah. Colorado, and then the closest one. Uh, prior to the last Colorado State win in 2015, the Buffs won in overtime, 27 to 24. But has been five straight for the Buffaloes. The Buffaloes lead the Wait, overall you series. Remember, you remember in the early 2000s, though, uh, with Lubick oh, and Barnett. Yes, and it was a heated rivalry. One because at least at that time, two coaches didn't three like out, each three other out of four much. years, and, and uh, the players shared that distaste. And Colorado State. Had a good run in there yeah. uh, that was characterized mainly by the antics of Bradley, Bradley Van, Van Pelt. Pelt. And uh, at one point, Colorado State won three out of four between 99 yeah. and 2002. Each of those times, uh, Colorado was ranked. Yes. Including once when Colorado was ranked seventh in 2002. Right. Oddly, the one game in those four years in which Colorado won 41 to 14, the Buffs were not they ranked. They were not ranked. But the Rams were. The Rams were ranked. Yes. And I remember, words, I think the it was the O2 not great game. to be ranked. The CSU, tends to take that. CSU came back to win, and Van Pelt said, wherever CU was ranked, top five, top seven, whatever. Number seven, yeah. Said, if that's the seventh-ranked team in the country, and then he followed with yeah, yeah, yeah. perhaps yeah. an expletive or two deleted, but, but you know, just the first few, if that's the number seven-ranked team in the country, and CSU, of course, was not ranked, at the time, and it was uh, a Bradley Van Pelt game. He he took control of the game late, CSU won. Then, after 2 there were a succession of games that CU pulled out of the fire against CSU, and Sonny Lubick, who now gets along fine with Gary Barnett, and Gary's a good guy, and that does a great job on the radio now, uh, on Learfield uh, with mm-hmm. Mark Johnson. Yeah. It, it, great, great team. Uh, Mark's got a you know, the big booming voice, oh, yeah, real is. presence. And Gary Barnett is one of the best radio analysts in football, not just college football, that I've heard. He, he's he's honest. Uh, he, he is uh, insightful without being overly driven toward jargon and coach speak uh, and really does a good job. And Sonny Lubick and Gary Barnett are gotten along great in the years since, but at that time they didn't necessarily get along. And I remember two things. I remember uh, Mike Evans and I were in Las Vegas in the early 2000s. We did a regular trip to Las Vegas prior to the uh, NCAA basketball tournament, or actually during the first weekend of the NCAA basketball tournament. And uh, we were broadcasting, and Sonny happened to walk by, and we both knew him. He came over and said hi. He said, keep giving Gary the business. (laughs) <laughs> and I, that was when CSU was beating CU. And then CU pulled at least two games, probably three, and three in a row, I think, maybe, out of the fire, the games they shouldn't have won. Marcus Houston got stopped at the goal line one year in Boulder. It looked like CSU was going to beat CU. And Lubick said at one point, he, he said, I 
keep saving Gary Barnett's job. <laughs> We're blowing these games. It's <laughs> a good line. Keep saving his job. Good line. Good line. That's why it's Sunny Lubick Field up there. Yeah. The Buffaloes averaging 453 yards a game through the air, 40.5 points a game. In what might be the uh, understatement of the week, Norvell, when asked about uh, the game, said that they were going to need to convert their third downs, finish drives, and score points. That would be nice. Correct. Um, I don't think that the Rams' defense and <laughs> is likely to hold them no. under the 40 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Because it has uh, not been a particularly strong start. Now I get it. And, it, and again, it's not. They've it, only had one game, it, but it, they did give up 50 in that game. It, it's not. They've just a, a matter of not, I mean, talent, again, there's no speed. So it, by by looking at the speed dimension alone, see you can all but name the score. At least the number of points we, we can score. You can say whatever you will about TCU and Nebraska, that they're, they're teams that won't be in the top 25, and I'm not, I don't think either of them will be when it's all said. And quite frankly, I don't think the Buffaloes will be either. But uh, – the speed that those two teams bring, the the athleticism level that those two teams bring, just is is a it's exponentially stronger than where of Colorado course. State is right of now. Course. And so there the really runs a point where there's what can you do, and you're going to have to be able if you're Colorado State to run the ball. You're going to have to be able to to get the ball out quickly in the passing game. You're going to have to nibble. Uh, you're going to have to try to find a way to eat up the clock, and I don't even know if that's a, a challenge. And, I think, and CU's really going to have to help you. They're going to have to be they're gonna sloppy have to make mistakes. and turn the ball over. And, and uh, I, I suspect after it, maybe in the worst news possible for CSU, in the first quarter against Nebraska, the Buffs played a very sloppy first quarter in, in which it was obvious they were so amped up for that game that they were making mistakes. Uh, Shadur Sanders part of that as well. Missing passes he normally wouldn't miss. I think they've gotten that out of their system, and that's not going to be a concern in this one. Uh, one of the things that you talk about, I think the, that Sanders did a good job of building up the rivalry with Nebraska. I think Deion Sanders built it up rather strongly. Uh, Actually, Shadur. And Shadur took it to a different level. He may have taken that to You know, you, we level. mentioned that, uh, and, and Shadur prior to that Nebraska game, and, and it, we get it. Some of this is manufactured. Jimmy Horn had, had my favorite discussion the week before Nebraska and said, you know, uh, uh, what about it is it, it, about Nebraska, you know, it bothers you. And he said, I don't know, but I hate him. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's right. He, he just, he, he's just like, I'm buying in whatever. <laughs> I'm told that they yep, were a rival yep, once. A rival, so okay. I don't like him. Okay. Uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, he was, he was all in. Uh, you'll notice that Dion has been rather muted in this one. I, he understands that. Yes, there's some history well, in it. And, and a part of it is Jay Norvell coming out and saying, um, Deion Sanders has a lot of public critics. I am yeah. not. In among other words, them. please, you don't need to put sixty on us, guys. Please. In other words, it's like we get it. Please don't just run it up on us. We're 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 fine. Uh, you're actually still in a roundabout way, not hurting the recruiting of Colorado State by bringing attention to Colorado in general. So it, it's not really a bad thing. But but Sanders' ability to ramp up the rivalry was interesting because prior to the game, uh, Matt Rule and the Huskers were standing at the 50-yard line. Well, of course, on the 50-yard line, as there is in many stadiums, is a giant logo now, of a buffalo. Also in the stadium was Terrell Owens, who is famous for doing uh, right. that in Dallas. Right, upon and then getting laid out for it, yeah. if you remember That's as true. well. Uh, absolutely clobbered. So, uh, Shadur did not take all that likely to rule deciding to hold his little get-together at the 50-yard line and literally jogged out there in pregames 
and broke it up. He was asked about how that went after the game. It was extremely personal. We go out there, warm up. You got the head coach for the other team trying to stand in the middle of the buff. Like, it's okay if, if like, a couple players do it. It's fine, you know. Like, to just enjoy the scenery. But when you got the whole team trying to disrespect it, then I'm not, you know, I'm not going for that at all. So I went in there and disrupted it. So they knew off rip. Like, nah, this, the Buffaloes mean, mean a lot to me. And personally, that's what I say in pregame. And that's when I knew it was just extreme disrespect. And that's why it was the coach. The coach said a lot of things about my pops, about the program. But now that he want to act nice, I don't. I don't. I don't respect that because you hating on another man. You shouldn't do that. So it was just all respect was gone for them in their program. Now I like playing against their DC. I like playing against them, but the respect level it ain't it ain't there because you disrespected us first. Ouch. Well, it did look like he liked playing against the DC. He had 393 yards and some <laughs> touchdowns. But um, the 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 response by Rule after being asked about it was basically saying, "Oh, just kind of holding a little prayer in the middle of prayer the vigil stadium." And and I invited Shadur to come pray with them, which yeah, I, which I, I guess did. you know I guess uh, nothing Shadur said indicated that that might not have been the case. But I think Shadur's argument is um, there's plenty of other places you can grab your. How about the end zone? Or end zone or a nice. sideline, you know, your sideline, or maybe, you know, your locker room or no, a tunnel I, I was, or I, I, I was anywhere watching, else. Uh, in, the, in the pregame, uh, but I was focused more on uh, any interaction, and I couldn't spot any between Rule and Sanders, as in the head coach. Uh, I, I did not notice in particular what Shadur Sanders was talking about, but again, I was in section 220, and I couldn't. Yeah tell what the byplay was but i yes it was it was there it in the was, early going and I, I was there really early so i, I did kind it of was there i saw yeah, it yeah and it was just it, kind it of strange there, i'm like yeah, why yeah. is nebraska standing in I the middle and that, and yeah. you'll and a, a couple minutes later uh after they kind of broke up all the buffaloes then went and stood yeah. there they're, yeah. they're like nah we'll right. we'll take this spot now thanks and they kind of stood out there and had most of their team meetings and discussions for the rest of the warm-up period so uh, kind of funny getting that rivalry back. And the funny thing that I actually liked about it was your point is like, I don't really care if a couple of players go out there pregame. They're looking around. Right, fine. looking around. I don't care. Okay. I get that. That's not That doesn't offend me. What offends me is taking your whole team and planting them in the middle of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, he got a personal foul later in the game for taking the helmet off. He also did Dion shuffle dance after he scored. Which uh, wasn't a very good Dion shuffle dance. Well, you know, it's been a, been a ways off. Ed, maybe he's come up with his own thing. But I think the point was well taken and, it's going to be fascinating to see how, not how this game turns out, but if you're Jay Norvell, you're trying to keep it at least reasonably close. You don't want to get run over because if you can put up at least somehow, because the Buffaloes decide maybe Travis Hunter doesn't need to play offense today. Maybe we don't need him on the field for that. Maybe we can save him some snaps. And you can somehow look like uh, the difference between the Buffs and Nebraska isn't much worse than the Buffs and the Rams. That's helpful. That's not a bad look. So I'm intrigued to see how it goes. I really am. But it will be a, a lot of fun to have this game be in prime time on a Saturday night like it used to be with Colorado football being back. And uh, that's exciting. And by they the did way, play in prime time. Yes, they did. And by the way, uh, Air Force, lest I forget, uh, back in the leading the, the, in the entire country in yards against in their first two games, 118 per game. That's it. Yikes. 
It's a good time to be a college football fan in Colorado. Well, it is. And Troy Calhoun did something a few weeks ago that I've never heard him do before. When asked about what kind of team he had, he says, I think we're going to be pretty good. I've never heard him acknowledge that pretty before good. season began. He said, no, I, he was, I think we'll be pretty good. So and far, so good. was probably will be more than pretty good. Well, we'll have an opportunity to talk about the Colorado Avalanche. A very good late signing as camp begins on Thursday for the Tremendous rookies. Signing. Yeah, Arif Dean. I had forgotten about this guy, but he's a good player. Yeah, Arif Dean of My Life Sports will help us break down the signing of the Avalanche's latest player. You're going to be pretty happy when you learn a little bit more about him. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. I was going to go easy on you, not to hurt your feelings. But I'm only going to get this one chance. Something's wrong. I can feel it. It's just... This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome back to the show. Sean Drotar, Sandy Clough on my left. And joining us now to discuss the Colorado Avalanche. By the way, rookie camp starts on Thursday. Yes. Is my life sports Arif Dean. Run right Arif. A-A-R-I-F is the Twitter handle. Arif, thanks for joining us. The addition today for the Avs, Thomas Tatar on a one-year deal. Uh, last played for the New Jersey Devils. 20 goals last year and a remarkable plus 41. 32 years old. And fills out what presumably would be the third line, as it stands today, with maybe Ross Colton and Miles Wood. Uh, what did you think about the signing? What do you think it does about those middle six, which were really the problem spots for the Avs offense last year? Honestly, I mean, for starters, thanks for having me on. Honestly, I think this is a this is exactly the type of guy they needed. I've been saying it since July first, since they added those three guys. They added in in well four. Johansson and Wood and, and Colton and Druin that they just they needed one more guy that could be that middle six security blanket. And uh, I often reference Andre Burakovsky after after Lekkinen was brought in, Berkey was put onto the third line because Lekkinen won that second line role and was, you know, ultimately a first liner by the end of the playoffs that year. And you had this guy on the third line, Andre Burakovsky, that if things go awry, if, if you have an injury, if you need a player that needs to step up, it was him. So, you know, I've been writing about all summer that I think Ross Colton's that kind of player. I think the Avalanche are expecting big things from him. They're going to use him in the top six, in my opinion, if or when I agree with you on that one. I, I really yeah. agree with you on that one. I think Colton will be the second line center. And Ryan Johansson will play uh, in the middle on the third line, and he will kill penalties. Uh, he's so good on faceoffs. And on the penalty kill, you don't have to skate a lot, and he is not yeah. known as a great skater. Let me, let me go off topic real quick, and then I'll go back to Tatar. I agree with you. I, I wrote an article on myhighsports.com where I made one prediction for every player, and what I said for Ryan Johansson was he's going to have an underwhelming regular season and prove his worth in the playoffs. So I do agree with that. I think Ross Colton's going to really break out. The, the going back to what I was saying earlier is by having Ross Colton being that player as your third line centerman, you're putting yourself back into the situation you had last year, where as soon as JT Comfer jumped into the top six, you were struggling with that third line center role. Sure. Do you use Evan Rodriguez there? Do you put him on the wing? Do you use New Hook there? Is he better yeah. suited for the wing? So by keeping Ross Colton at center and not elevating him to the second line as a winger or Joe Hansen as a winger, whatever it may be, You've got this guy in Thomas Tatar that now you can use him to do that. Now you can use him to bring him up to the top, 
to the top six. You can keep Logan O'Connor slotted on the fourth line. Not having well, anybody yeah, really that's... playing in over their head. Because last year was both Cogliano and O'Connor playing on the third line, sometimes the second line. So now you can have both those guys on the fourth right. line with, with seemingly Ben Myers. And now you have these guys that you can fiddle with, whether it's Ross Colton, Tomas Tatar. It's just the perfect type of security blanket forward this team can use on a one-year deal. Somebody that I love, I, I grew up watching him in Detroit since his rookie season. I think he's, he's exactly the kind of guy that will help get you to the playoffs. His playoff numbers are a different question, but he's the kind of guy that can produce. Well, I, I want to pursue that with you a little bit because he was benched during the playoffs in Montreal, even though he had great years in Montreal. What, what's the deal with that? And I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, on this team anyway, if he scores one goal a series playing on the third line, that's terrific. And he's become a very good defensive player. He's always been able to put the puck in the net, seven 20-goal seasons. But what about that knock on Tatar that in 52 career playoff games, he has seven goals and six assists? It's hard to really gauge it. I think the, the big thing with him in the playoffs is there's always kind of something that went wrong for him. So, you know, when you look at last year with the Devils, that one's on him. I will have to say that one's on him. He had an opportunity to play higher in the lineup and, you know, only was able to produce one goal, I believe, in 12 games. Oh, that's right. For a team that, that's right. for a team that made it out of the first round. But, you know, going back to his years with the Red Wings, for example, uh, you know, he – he didn't always have the best opportunity to play with the top guys. And when he did, the top guys sometimes will get injured or they might not show up. So it led to things like in, uh, in his first couple of years in Detroit, he had seasons where I want to say, uh, which one was it? 2014. He didn't have a single point. 2015, the Red Wings lost in seven games. He actually had three goals. I yeah. remember him playing good in that series against Tampa. The following year, he didn't have any goals, but he was a playmaker and they lost in five games. And then after that, he didn't see the playoffs again until he was traded to Vegas late in the season where the Golden Knights just didn't really give him a chance. They had their Misfits team. They had their lineup already kind of set. They made it to the Stanley Cup final despite him, not with him. So yeah. it was just something where it never really worked out for him. The, uh, the season in Montreal where they, where they went pretty far and he had, uh, he had a good regular season. I think it was the season he had 30 points in the 56-game year. He didn't really get much of an opportunity to play uh, in the in the postseason. No, that he didn't. one I don't he, recall. He that one I don't recall much of. And yeah. they made it all the way to the yeah. finals. He, he he didn't, and it was strange because he was playing over sixty minutes a game. And then all of a sudden, the playoffs he wasn't playing. Uh, but uh, Lechner was on that team. So Lechner was uh, on that team. Yeah, Jonathan Drouin was on that team, but didn't dress in the playoffs because he had taken a leave from the team. So Tatar's got some familiarity there. He played with Miles Wood last year with the Devils. Uh, I'm actually doing a podcast with a Devils reporter here in the in the coming days, I believe, on Friday. And right. I'm really curious to hear if there's any chemistry between Wood and Tatar, because like you just said, it seems yeah. like they're going to slot in together with Ross Colton. So right. Right. in terms of his playoff numbers, look, the best way to put it is in the NHL, and we know this very well, especially watching the Avalanche the last five years, there are players that get you there, and there are players that win when you're there. Yep. Yeah. And what we saw in the 2022 postseason where the Avalanche were finally able to find the guys that can win when you're there. And those are the Josh Mansons, the Arturi Lekkonen, the Andrew Caglianos. They started to add those players. Val Nichushkin developed into that kind of player. Meanwhile, Andre Burakovsky, great regular season playoff uh, player. He had some great moments in the playoffs in 2022, but he was also healthy scratched at times. So 
Alex Newhook, same thing. He was healthy scratch to start. He came back and, you know, obviously ended up having a good postseason. But there are players that get you there. This is the type of guy to me that's going to help get you there, especially for this team that last year had so many injuries. They were digging way deep down into their depth. Now they have an extra guy and an extra body they can use in their top nine. And when things kind of start to go awry, you can use Tatar. And then when you get closer to the playoffs, if you feel like he's not the guy to win when you are there, that's when you use the trade deadline. That's when you look into Nikolai Kovalenko who's going to come over from the KHL. That's when you look into everybody's favorite pipe dream, one that I don't believe. Can Gabe Landeskog play in the postseason? So there are options well, for you when you get to the playoffs. Very quickly, um, the general manager of the Avalanche yeah. recently did not rule out the possibility of Landeskog performing in the playoffs. Did not rule it out. Now, he did not say it was going to happen. Um, it was kind of a maybe, maybe not. I don't tend to think it will happen. But the point is that Landeskog, up until now, is making a rapid recovery, unlike his previous rehab attempts, is making yeah. a rapid recovery, and that is certainly good news. I am so fascinated by this Landeskog story. There are going to be, like, this is going to be the story of legends, and I hate to, like, use that big of a term, but Landeskog has become a legend for this, for this team. You know, whenever, this is my favorite thing, is people, recency bias goes a long way until you start to talk about the best of all time. And when you talk about the best of all time with the Avalanche, people will say Makar, McKinnon, and Landeskog, and Rantanen can't hold can't even be compared to the Waz and Forsbergs and Foots and, and, and Sackicks. And that's true right now. But in 30 years from now, when you're looking back at this, this era, as compared to that era, you're going to be looking at Gabe Landeskog in the same light that you look at number 99, number 19 and number 21, especially when his jersey's up in the rafters. So I am so fascinated by this story. I am so fascinated by his attempted recovery. The fact that he's got so many years left on this contract, the fact that if he returns and he starts to play well, there's going to be stories written about this guy for generations to come about this injury. And it goes back to when he had the surgery and when it was announced that he was going to have the surgery and he was going to miss the season. The Avalanche sent out a press release saying Gabriel Landeskog is going to have this surgery and he's going to miss the 2023-24 regular season. And they used those two words in their regular season. And when we asked him and when we asked Chris McFarland, I went out of my way to ask about it. I said, it says regular season in the press release. Does this include playoffs? They wouldn't rule it out. So it sounds like they're holding on to hope. It sounds like Landis Gog's recovery is going well. And, you know, if this is the kind of thing where he comes in and plays one game, that in itself is going to be a miracle. And that in itself is going to be a great story to watch. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how it goes for him. Is there a concern because the, the, those long-term injured reserve rules, the LTIR rules that, yeah, that yeah. were tweaked a little bit when Tampa Bay would sort of do this during their run, sneak a guy yeah. like Kucherov, who they knew would be back for the playoffs, put him on LTIR, exceed the salary yeah. cap, and then lo and behold, boom, he's back in the playoffs. Uh, that's Those those got tweaked a little bit. The Avalanche would have to make cuts for Landis Cog to come back even for the playoffs. Is there a concern for the Avs, that the idea look, oh, well, you know, Landeskog might be coming eventually to save us. We've seen that with teams sometimes not give you the uh, hoped-for result, that sometimes there's this presumption that the savior's just over the horizon, and, and it makes it harder for coaches to say, no, if you want to win games, it's the guys in this room right now. 
so just to correct you on that, they were tweaked in the sense of the NHL confirms that the injuries are illegitimate, but they don't have to clear cap space. For okay. Even no, when they, they don't have to clear cap space. No, but they, 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 have to cre- they have to cut somebody. They have to get under the cap, though, right? They do not. If they, no, if it, no, if they don't the have to get under You do not. Because okay. last year, if you remember, the Stanley Cup champions last year added Ivan Barbashev at the trade deadline, right. and then Mark Stone joined the roster in the playoffs. Had Mark Stone joined yeah. the roster in the regular season, they don't have the money to Okay, okay. Barbashev. so you can't just sort That's of stash fine. guys. Okay, yes, so. you can. You can stash them. It has to be a legitimate injury. But it has to be Kucherov, legitimate. Yeah. yeah. Kucherov, there were questions of. Kucherov, it was a little, there was, it was a little shady business because yeah. six weeks before Everyone the postseason started, Six weeks before the postseason started, he was already on the ice and he was already skating and it looked like he was up to speed. So he was pretty much healthy, but they're like, you know what, just sit it out till the postseason. We don't want to have to trade Blake Coleman or whoever it is, you know, to clear space, Alex Kalorn or whatever. So, you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And Tampa Bay did it and they won the Stanley Cup. I have all the respect in the world for them. Well, it's a loophole. And, and, yeah, thanks yeah. for correcting me on that. But, I mean, is there a yeah. concern that if, you know, but Landeskog yeah. might be coming back, we, we've seen that happen before. It happened, quite frankly, to the Nuggets a year prior to, to their run yeah. with Jamal Murray. Yeah. Uh, I think the way that you look at it is you have these guys in the locker room. Those are the guys that are going to win you the Stanley Cup. If Gabe Landeskog becomes an option, and, you know, it's not, this isn't going to be a situation where game one of the postseason is going to be an option. I think if he is, it's going to be like, I don't know, game four of the second or third round. Don't quote me on that. But it's just it's one of those things where it's not going to be perfectly aligned for him to return for the first game of the postseason. It's just not going to happen. I, it's got to be a big coincidence for that. But if or when he is available, that is a good problem to have at the time when you have it. The, the perspective- it, again, sorry, right. go ahead. Right. No, go ahead. I was going to say, because, again, go back to 2022. The Avalanche had a perfectly good lineup. Andre Burakovsky posted career numbers. They traded for this guy, Lekkinen, that a lot of us said, okay, great, they shored up the depth. That ended up being on the top line with Nathan McKinnon. They traded for this guy, Josh Manson, where we said, oh, okay, great. They, started, they added a little bit of a mean streak to their defense, and he ended up being a top-four blue liner, which meant that, you know, obviously Sam Gerard ended up getting hurt, but Jack Johnson sat after playing most of the season, Ryan Murray sat after playing most of the season to make room for Josh Manson. So those are just the things you have to do when it gets to that point. If Gabe Landeskog getting healthy means, I don't know, Tatar, Ben Myers, Frederick Olofsson, uh, Miles Wood, whoever the heck it is, you have to sit somebody no matter what their contract situation is to make room for the captain. I would rather the Avalanche, and I'm sure they will say this too, they would rather have that kind of a depth issue than the one last year where they didn't have yeah. guys to play and Matt Nieto was the, the one other guy I throw into that mix is Drew Allen. Now, I know everybody yeah. is talking about how he and McKinnon are the same age, basically played together uh, in, in junior, and McKinnon yeah. raves about him, loves him, and uh, Drew Allen uh, thinks this is going to be a fresh start for him in his career, and that may turn out to be the case. But to me, he's unproven and people were locking him into that left wing position on the first line to play with McKinnon and Renton and he, he's got to play and I, I think yeah. he knows that but it isn't enough just uh, you know you, you were a good junior player playing with McKinnon the one other thing I wanted to ask you about because it has to be addressed how quickly do you think Valeri Nishushkin is going to talk about what happened or didn't happen last year in the Stanley Cup playoffs? I, that's another thing that I'm fascinated with. I think what's going to end up happening there, because we know not just what happened, but, Gabe, but uh, Val Nachushkin's history before that of 
how he handles media and when he talks and doesn't. The team is going to bring him in. They're going to. This is my prediction, so don't quote me on well, this. Well, that's what McFarland uh, says. McFarland says yeah. he will talk. Yeah, so what I think is going to happen is the team is going to bring him in. They're going to send him in a room. You're going to put Joe Sackett, Chris McFarland, Jared Bednar. Gable Endeskog might be involved, Nathan McKinnon. You're going to put a leadership team around him, and they are going to school the heck out of him on how to handle this situation, how to avoid both the PR mess and the language barrier, how to answer the questions that are going to come. He's going to stand in front of the media. He's going to take the questions. He's going to answer them. And then the team is going to say that this will be the only time he speaks of it, and that will be that. Val will go back to how he is usually, where when you approach him in the locker room, nine times out of ten, actually, that's not enough of a percentage. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred times when you approach him in the locker room, he's going to say, I'm not speaking today. No, no thank you. He is Very respectful, but he doesn't talk. So they're going to approach this where they're going to have him sit there. They're going to put guys like Pavel Fransos in that room, probably. Guys like Alexander Georgiev. The reason why I mentioned those is because those are Russian-speaking players that are going to help him make sure the language barrier doesn't come in the way of how he answers these questions. He's going to approach it. He's going to, he's going to deal with it head-on one time because the team knows they cannot let him just return without, without talking about it. And then that will be that. He is Arif Dean. Make sure you follow him. Run right Arif on the Twitter website, whatever they call it now. You know what it is. <laughs> and, of course, you can catch him everything putting together on my Ally Sports. Story about this today, of course, the signing of Thomas Tatar. Another piece for the Avalanche as they try to make a run back to the Stanley Cup Finals. Arif, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Looking forward to touching base with you more often because uh, guess what? Season's already basically here. Yeah, I'm pumped for it. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks so much. Eric Dean joining us, and uh, make sure you go to MileySports.com, as I mentioned. Check out the latest article, and make sure you stay in touch Slovak with Slovak winger. Yep. Tatar. Yep. And uh, I, 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 I was stunned when I saw this, because I, I have to admit, I kind of forgotten about him, but the Avalanche have been clever in the past about doing it, kind of letting frankly, these guys I like a lot of these one-year deals. Light, uh, a late move toward them, and it's a one-year deal. I like the one-year deal. Uh, and is a 1.5 million. You got a great year out of Evan Rodriguez and last Drew year that way. Druen is on a one-year deal yep. for less than a million. Mm-hmm. So it's a prove-it year for him, and he's not making a lot of money this year. Nope. So uh, you like how it's set up? We'll have an opportunity to start rookie camp on Thursday. Uh, Katie Goss from Avalanche TV will join us tomorrow to break that all down as well. Third down, three and outs, right, in the NFL. You want to avoid three and outs. Well, the Broncos did that. The, the, num- the numbers did. bear it out. What does it actually mean? Well, it's not only the Broncos, but their company that might tell the story. I'll explain next to my life sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. NFL analyst Warren Sharp, who does a really good job over at his site, Sharp Football. Also a fabulous mustache, actually. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty impressive. I kind of got to meet him a couple times out of the Super Bowl. It's really quite good. Uh, normally the kind of that, that 70s style thing, but it works for him. Wouldn't work for me. I'd look terrible with just that. It's not a lot of things that would help me, but that's why I'm on radio. But, you know, it works for him. Put together the three and out rate for all 32 teams this week. 
The lowest percentage of three and outs went to the Rams at 11%. The second lowest went to the Raiders at 14%. And the third lowest went to the Broncos at 17%. Miami and Baltimore and New Orleans were at 18% just ahead of them. The Broncos were not near the best of that list last year. This year, a better performance, at least after one game. But you look at that, and I have to think, you have an anomalous game in which both teams get six drives each. Wow. Penalties, yeah, six full drives. Penalties extended seven. drives for both teams. And I, I guess I look at it and say, okay, good sign. Look, fewer three and outs are always good. I'm not going to ever say that they're not good. They're good. But let's see them do it again. Before well, I'm willing. More possessions. Yeah, with yeah, some one, more one possessions. Too small. Very small sample Samples. size. And uh, I, I think you look at it and say, okay, that's good. I think that Russell Wilson was quite a bit better, if not dazzling. He was certainly much better. I think Wilson still, I thought that last year, Wilson was not good. Uh, Wilson needed more help than he had on his roster, and both things can be true at the same time. I still think that's the case. But if they can continue at least to sustain some drives, even when those drives end in punts, the field well, position flip isn't quite so dramatic. You know, the Washington game will be interesting because uh, say what you will about Washington's offense, uh, they have some talent. They were in the lower half of 31% very, very as well. Green, yeah, very green quarterback yeah. in, in Sam Howell. Defensively, they're good. And you got a defensive-minded head coach. The uh, enemy is trying to resurrect the offense um, and being given the authority to do that by Ron Rivera. But defensively, they've been good for a while. And they were pretty good last year, and they suffered a little bit for the fact the offense was so bad. You know, people think the Broncos are the only team whose defense suffered because the offense was so bad. That's not true. There are other bad offensive teams in the league who dragged the defense down. I think Washington's defense is better than Denver's defense. Um, And that will be a test on Sunday. Uh, Presumably, the Broncos will have the ball more than six times on Sunday against Washington, and they will have to do more than they did. And... You know, nice that they only had one three and out, but it was the three and out that mattered. It was the last one. And, you know, I understand you punt the ball away with five minutes, eight seconds left. You expect to get it back. They didn't. That's on the defense. But the one three and out came at the worst possible time. The way this offense sort of morphs from what it is today to what it will be, Jerry Judy's return will be valuable. And I, as I said yesterday, I quite frankly, at this point, maybe expect Jerry Judy to play. I don't know if Jerry Judy's Do you entirely, really? I don't know if he's entirely ready, but... I don't either, and I wouldn't take a chance on a hamstring. If it's a 50-50 kind of thing, I'd rest him for another week and bring him back in Miami. They'll need him. <laughs> They'll need him in Miami. I don't think they need to score a lot to beat Washington on Sunday. Yeah, I, I would I would prefer to have him have, come back at that week three, which I think was being projected um, through the, the, the sources that I had. That was the hope there, but I think with Dulcich going down and, and going to miss game two, I think that the Broncos are going to feel they have to they have to pick things up because you know what they can't afford, Sandy? They can't have an 0-2 start when their first two games are at home against the Raiders. And the oh, I understand that. They just can't. I understand. And I think they're going to – I think Sean Payton and the staff will gamble. Wow. Uh, you're gambling because, I mean, let's face it, if you go 0-2, season's DOA. It's I, done. I know, but you can't, you can't make injury decisions like that. I to, agree with to you. To a key player but based people on do it. your – level of panic 
And I, we're supposed to believe that last year's coach panicked and this year's coach never will. And we're talking about week two. You're forcing back a guy who, uh, you know, I understand it was characterized as a moderate uh, hamstring pull, not a tear. Uh, Dulcich may have a more severe injury. Uh, it's a hamstring injury. Maybe it's more severe and Dulcich had hamstring problems in the past, but so is Judy. And I, I'm, I'm just saying if it's 50-50, I wouldn't play him. And it, it, you're supposed to have this quarterback who, who you know, lifts all boats. And I, I think that's the one thing we will never see from Russell Wilson again. I don't think he can win you a game in the fourth quarter. Uh, I, I don't think he's a liability necessarily uh, at this point with Peyton as the head coach, but I also don't think he can lift your team. But honestly, isn't he supposed to? At least every now and then. So if they need a lift, I think that was the they, expectation. They can't lean on Jerry Judy to give them that lift. First of all, Washington's got a good secondary, and if he does play, they'll give him uh, attention. Uh, the thing that amazes me about Cortland Sutton, uh, give him one year after he tore the ACL to get acclimated again. He can't beat one-on-one coverage anymore. Certainly not on a consistent basis. Four catches for 32 yards tells me he can't beat one-on-one coverage. They're going to have to find a way to get more explosiveness into their offense. Even if the, even if the defense is. Well, and you've been very clear about it. The rookie, uh, play the two rookies. I, I think that's what you're going to have to do. Play the two rookies. I, th- I think Mims and McLaughlin have to play. I think you have Show to find a way to rotate them in. I think you're going to have to find a way. Maybe you need to pass to McLaughlin. I, I don't know. I agree. But this team clearly and may, after and maybe one block game, for him too. That simply, would be nice. yeah. Simply doesn't have much speed, and they can't fix this. And this is something that, because of the trades for Wilson and for Peyton, you get. I get it. You, I can understand. I understand. We get your left and right. But Tom Brady was picked in the sixth round. Terrell Davis was picking this. I get it. You know where your playmakers, your game breakers usually come from? The first and second rounds. Because that's when, you know, you have special athletes who hopefully have translatable uh, football they, skills. They spent those picks on Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. And Sean Payton. So this is what you're stuck with. And it can't get changed in season. So you're going to have to get creative. That, that's why I said weeks ago, people got all excited. Well, you're saying they can't draft. Well, I, I don't think the drafts have been great, but the thing they're missing in recent years is draft capital. That means numbers. That means not having first yeah. round picks and second round picks. These are That's throws at a dartboard. And if you don't have first and seconds, you don't have a dynamic team. And the Broncos are one of the least athletic, slowest teams in the National Football League, if not the least athletic. And slowest. They will be hoping for a win because obviously you can't start 0-2 and, and, and expect to have any playoff aspirations, especially in this AFC. It's been fun talking to you today. Appreciate it. Thanks to Eric Dean for joining us 
on the latest Avalanche signing, a very good under-the-radar signing of Tomas Tatar. We'll have Katie Goss at Altitude to join us uh, the night before camp begins, which, that's right, is Thursday. So, you know, football season's going. The Broncos are going. The Buffs Rocky Mountain Showdown is this week. Avalanche are coming back. Plenty to talk about. Always good to talk with you about it. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making everything work. Thanks to you listening, however you did, whether it was over the FM dial, whether it was HD radio, whether you're at MileHighSports.com or you got made it easy on yourself and grabbed the Mile High Sports app. Thanks to all of you. We'll be back tomorrow, but we have to go right now. For Danny and for Sandy, I'm Sean. We'll catch you tomorrow right here on Mile High Sports. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.